Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We're a couple of missionaries at Acts 29. This is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. Mary, we got new microphones. We do. And I have to say they're rather cool. They're really cool, except nobody can see them because it's a podcast and not a video cast. But anyway, trust me, we sound probably... We same, pray I so. Hope. We pray so. Absolutely, Father but John. But they're nice looking. Hey, I'm anxious to break them in because we have a really, I think, a, um, a worthwhile podcast, which might start slow initially just because uh, it'll remind us, perhaps many of us anyway, mm-hmm. we can be just downright ignorance of scripture sometimes. So what's our topic? Yeah, so our title for today is Authority is Not About Power or Privilege. Oh, this should be fun. Let's pray, shall okay. we? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we, uh, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon us right now, to bless this conversation, to guide us, to animate our words, our discussion. May it be fruitful and efficacious for everybody who's listening. Lord, we, in a very particular way, lift up before you those who have positions of authority, both in the church, in government, in schools, in athletics, and families. Help us to understand what it's truly about Help those who have it to exercise it properly. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father John, before we jump into our conversation today, I just want to remind our friends that you have a new book out. Booklet. A booklet. It's a little book. <laughs> book is in booklet. <laughs> so it's a so it's a thin read, but it's a rich read. And so I just want to remind everybody to um Go to your favorite website or your fa- wherever you buy books um, and look for Unshakable Hope in the Midst of the Storm. It's, it's on available. our website too, I think. It's on it? our website. Our good friends at Word Among Us Press um, has published it for us. And um, I think we'd all agree that it's a, a very applicable word in a day where we need hope. There are a few storms going on, aren't there? Amen, amen. All right, let's dive in. Okay. Take us away, okay, so. lector of the universe. <laughs> okay. So our reading from this coming Sunday comes from the prophet Isaiah. So thus says the Lord to, the, to Shebna, master of the palace, I will thrust you from your office and pull you down from your station. On that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and gird him with your sash, and give over to him your authority. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place the key of the house of David on Eliakim's shoulder. When he opens, no one shall shut. When he shuts, no one shall open. I will fix him like a peg in a sure spot to be a place of honor for his family." So, okay. <laughs> so, so just like last week, I'm picturing, you know, sitting in the presider's chair and looking out at people's faces as they're walking in, you know, maybe just after the opening song, or maybe some people are walking in during the first reading and you can, you can kind of imagine a couple of us looking at each other like, uh, why are we wasting our time listening to this? Oh <laughs> right. It just seems like, uh, um, clearly something's going on with one guy. Something's been given to another guy, but who cares? What's the big deal? What's this got to do with our lives, right? Yeah, at first read, there's a lot. I have more questions than mm-hmm. I have answers or context. So given this head scratcher, um, let's try to figure out like what's happening here. So let's see if we can get our hands around this, Father John. Maybe we can tackle this maybe through uh, five five points. So first, how are the Sunday 
readings even arranged. Mm. Um, is there an important biblical principle to keep in mind when we're reading something like this? What are some key historical notes around this reading? Fourth, why is it so important for us? And then lastly, the piece that I probably enjoy the most, and I'm sure I'm not alone, is how do I apply this to our lives? Ooh, Does that make sense? Yeah, love these topics. Okay, so, so, so maybe starting out like um, with regards to, is there a particular arrangement? Is there a rhythm Father John, to the readings that we hear at Mass. No, we just throw darts at the wall well, and that's pick what, scripture. That's what it seems like <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. And it's worth, you know, many of us probably know this, but many of us probably don't. And and nobody look, wants to look like an idiot. So you don't ask oftentimes some of the questions that we should ask, like really basic questions. So Mass is laid out in a very particular way. So on Sundays, we go through a cycle, cycle A, B, and C. And so cycle A means the gospel is always from Matthew. Cycle B, the gospel is from Mark. Cycle C is from Luke. People might ask, well, where's John? John gets interspersed throughout each of those cycles in the course of the year. Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter in a special way. So based on that, what the church has done is based on the gospel reading, there's always a first reading chosen, which somehow helps us understand the gospel. It foreshadows it. It renders it more intelligible. Um, but there's some intimate connection between the first reading and the gospel. Whereas the second reading, there's at least um, with the exception that the connection is the Holy Spirit's inspired that too, there's no connection typically to the first reading and to the gospel. It's usually just a sequential reading through normally, but not always, Paul's letters. So we're going through Romans right now. And that, that doesn't have any connection with the first reading and the gospel. What about the psalm? Uh, and the psalm is also part of that first reading and the gospel connection. So those okay. those are always tied in. Great okay. question. Yeah, the psalm, you know, it used to be the case. People would oftentimes, it used to drive me crazy. They would, they would substitute like a, a psalm setting from a hymnal that might actually be the same, might not actually be the same psalm that's given for the lectionary, mm -hmm. but that psalm is intimately connected as are, you know, the antiphon, that enter, entrance ant antiphon for mass and the communion antiphon, all these things, the opening prayer, the closing prayer, they all tie together. They're all intended to help us understand the theme of what it is that the Lord's revealing to us and that the church has chosen for us to meditate on. So to, okay. in today's case, or this coming Sunday's case, the first reading of the gospel this is a perfect example of how these two readings line up, and we'll talk about that as we go along. Okay, okay so that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Um, I've heard you say before, and, I, and I've heard this quote for years, um, that important biblical principle um, that St. Jerome talks about. He says, you know, to be ignorant of Scripture is to be ignorant of Christ. Right, and Isaiah is the person that he's writing a commentary on, or the book of Isaiah is the commentary in which Jerome writes that. In other words, to not know the Old Testament is to not know Jesus. And, and so, so Father John, um, I, I'm thinking about, so, so we know that the New Testament is foreshadowed, right, in the Old Testament. If I'm honest, I would think that more often than not, many of us are more, are more schooled in the New Testament and we shy away from the Old Testament because of readings just like this. Yep, I agree. Because it requires, I agree. we talked about it in the past, it requires 
uh, some work. So, so, so Augustine has this, this is, the principle actually that, that hits me is Augustine's insight. So St. Augustine, you know, writing back in the 500s, he says this, he says, the New Testament lies hidden in the old mm. and the Old Testament is unveiled in the new. So somehow okay. in this reading that you just read for us, that we're going to hear this Sunday at Mass, the New Testament is hidden inside there. Because, so, you know, Scripture is, Scripture is not a book, it's, it's a library. Right. It's a collection of books. But here's the key. There's one author. That's really important. So, yes, there's human writers, but there's one ultimately divine author. Scripture is not some disparate collection of readings. It's a collection of different genres. Right. Yeah, all written by, inspired by the same, same. person, God, right. who's telling a story. And just like in any other great story, there's people and scenes and places and events that at the time might not seem intelligible. But as you go into the book, suddenly you're like, oh, now I know why they were talking about that back then. Now I understand this scene that's being described now in a new way. And again, this reading um, is vastly significant because without it, what we're going to hear in the gospel, namely Jesus giving Peter keys, would just seem like it comes out of nowhere gotcha. and makes no sense, right? right. So the, the new, hear that again. The New Testament lies hidden in the old and the old is unveiled in the new. That's why we have to know the scriptures in their entirety, even if it makes us go, I don't know what this is talking about and I have to go do a little work. Okay. okay, I love that, Father John. Okay. So let's do a little work. Okay, so 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 give us something like a playbill. So imagine you're going to the theater and you walk in and you get a playbill. Kind of lays out everything for yeah. that entire play. Give us something of a playbill around like the historical notes around this reading. Yeah, cause you, so you and I were talking about this before we hit record. Sometimes, you know, you read scripture and you don't need an awful lot of backdrop. You can just go, wow, this just really speaks to me right now. I'll bet most people are reading this passage this from one. Isaiah going, uh, I got nothing. Who's the Shebna dude? <laughs> What's up with Shebna? So just a couple of quick highlights, right? So Great. this is the 8th century. This is Isaiah. More specifically, this is during the reign of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the son of Ahaz. Ahaz is the one to whom the Lord says, the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and bear a son and you shall name him Emmanuel. So hopefully we at least recognize that verse. That prophecy, which God gives through the prophet, is given to Hezekiah's dad, King Ahaz. So Hezekiah is the king of uh, Judah, which is the southern kingdom, from basically 715 to 686. So that's the time period. The, the historical, the other couple of historical notes that are worth keeping in mind Israel is living with um, a national threat, or be more precisely, Judah is living with a national threat, and that's Assyria. And some people might be familiar with the story, some people might not, but Assyria's king is a man named Sennacherib, and he is this tyrant who has just been leveling towns, including most of the towns in Judah, and he pitches his tent in front of, or his army, I should say, in front of Jerusalem, and he threatens, he taunts Hezekiah, Who's the God that you think is going to save you after I've destroyed every other kingdom? And then the Lord speaks to Sennacherib through uh, the prophets and says, don't, don't be afraid of this man. He's going back home alone. He's not going to touch you. 
And he does. He goes home alone and doesn't touch him. It's a truly miraculous deliverance of Jerusalem. So this, that's what's going on. And Shebna, okay, here's, here's this guy who's you know, like done something wrong, apparently. He's getting thrust out of his office. Shebna had been at one point the uh, royal secretary to Hezekiah. In fact, he was part of a delegation that was sent to Sennacherib to kind of sue for peace. Like, please don't destroy us. And then he gets elevated to this, quote unquote, master of the palace. Not the master of the house. house. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like uh, Les Miserables. So what's the master of the palace? So this is like the prime minister. Okay. Which means what? This guy's second in charge. Oh, so this is a big deal. This isn't some nobody. This is the second in command, second only to the king. And apparently something's happened to him. He's done something. And it's so bad that he's being removed from his position of authority. And he's being replaced by Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And God's going to give to Eliakim these keys that used to belong to Shebna. Does this make sense? It does. So I'm going to ask a question, and if it's if it's not applicable here, let me know. So as you're breaking open, this man, his position of authority, what did he do? <laughs> what was his what was his crime? I mean, I'm 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 assuming he was struggling with some manner of pride or ego given the prominence of this position? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great question and it's, it's re, it is applicable and it's going to really tie in, I think, as we talk about how we apply this to our own lives. You're right, he's done something scandalous and, and we find out a little bit of bef- about what he's done mm-hmm. um, without too many details in the verses immediately before this. So, you know, like another principle to keep in mind, when you go to Mass on Sunday... Try to do the readings, the verses that are on either side of the reading that we're going to have so that we can get some context. So right before this, this is in verse 15 of chapter 22. So our reading starts in verse 19. In verse 15, it says, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come, go to this steward, to Shebna, who's over the household. Say to him, What have you to do here? In other words, like, what do you think you're doing here? You're not going to stay in this position that you have cut out here a tomb for yourself. You who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock, behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold of you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into a wide land. Thus you shall die. There shall be your glorious chariots, you shame of your master's house." So we don't have an awful lot of detail about this, but from it, you can deduce exactly what you said. Here's a person who, as often happens, because of his position, starts to think more highly of himself than he should. Hey, look at me. Ain't I all that? Forgetting that authority is not for his good. It's for the good of others, which probably ties into that fourth thing you want to talk about. Why is all this important for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what I love about what I love about uh, what you just shared with us—I mean, there's something in it for all of us. Certainly, how we are going to um, step into the authority that's been entrusted to us. Yeah. 
um, disinforms so much about how it is we as uh, God's people um, should be praying for those in authority, yeah. maybe just on a really practical level. Yeah. How about this? Let's end there because I love ending there. Let's just say something to connect this to the gospel real quick. Okay. So, so this reading yeah. is probably one of the primary readings that speaks into the gospel that we're going to hear from Matthew relative to Peter. So this speaks about Peter's role yeah, and really every Pope after him. Yeah, that's right. So, so without understanding this scripture passage at all, the giving of the keys to Peter comes would seem to be like coming out of nowhere or unintelligible for us. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, you know, most people aren't going to have a clue what it means to have keys. Right. But suddenly this reading helps you understand, Oh, okay. So, Jesus is doing something which draws very heavily on precisely this passage and not just this passage from Isaiah, but this position, this prime minister position. So the Lord is instituting Peter as, if you will, something like his prime Prime minister, minister. not a government position, but the prime minister of the church, right? He's the vicar of Christ. He's the second in command. He's, He's something like the something like, it's an analogy, the prime minister of Jesus's church. It's not his, it's Jesus's church. And that, that's what's significant about keys being given to him. These are a symbol of authority. The keys are given to the person who's the chief steward of the kingdom. Well, what's a steward? Steward is someone um, who cares for that which belongs to another. That's right. So remember, think of that scene in, in John after uh, Jesus rises from the dead, he encounters Peter and he asks him three times, do you love me? Do you yes. love me? Do you love me? Right? And then he gives charge, take, then, then feed my flock, tend my sheep. Paul says, you know, or Peter says in, a, in one of his letters, God's flock, God's flock is in your midst. Not your flock. They're not yours. They're his flock. Therefore, give it a shepherd's care. Huh? They're not yours. They're mine. And and God is the ultimate shepherd, but he appoints shepherds to govern in his name. And that's Peter's role in an ultimate way, is to to govern in God's name, not his own name. You know, like someone once said, each pope is less and less, quote unquote, free than the Pope before him, because more has been passed on to more him. More has been entrusted to him. You know, from each of the successive people in front of him. But it's not, it's not like politics. Like, hey, I'm in charge, now I get to do what I want. No, 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 no. You're not in charge in the way that we think of this. So we got to stop thinking politically. We think way too often about faith politically and politics religiously, right? Right. So, we, we tend to think of authority as I'm in charge. You're not too bad. I get to make the rules. No, that's not authority. That's an abuse of power. That's what that is. So Peter's given authority and he's given these keys, which are a symbol of his authority. And he's given particularly this task of binding and loosing, which comes back from this old Testament reading of opening and shutting. So this has to do with everything from teaching authority to who gets to stay in and who stays out of the community. That's what opening and shutting means. And even, you know, like spiritual authority to forgive sins. That's why this is so important. Mm. Without this reading, 
and without the the positions, most especially the position of the master of the palace or the prime minister, it's hard to understand what Jesus is doing in the gospel scene from Matthew with regards to Peter. That's brilliant, Father John. This is so illuminating. Um, I'm reminded of uh, a set of years ago, uh, had the opportunity to um, visit the Sistine Chapel. Mm. And I'm reminded of that image of, this is why Peter is giving back the keys to Jesus. It's like, you have entrusted this to me and now I'm giving them back to you. I'm giving the keys back to you. Is that right? Yeah, I love that image too. It's a uh, it's a detail that's often missed. Yeah, yeah. So e- even this makes sense of that, that's right? right? Um, so, so back to what I was going to touch on earlier, and I think this is where it gets really practical for all of us. So given all of that, how do we apply this to our, to our lives, your life and my life and our friends who are listening? Yeah. So, you know, we can, we can come at that with a couple ways, but a couple things come to mind immediately. So the first again is just, we really need to have a rehabilitation of authority. You know, we, we tend to equate authority with power. But, but that's not what authority is about. Sure, certainly those who have authority have power, but usually, unfortunately, they abuse the authority and then they wield power. Mm. And so as, as you rightly noted earlier, you know, Shebna's removed for his pride. Mm-hmm. And how, how many, you know, how many examples can you come up with in a heartbeat, both politically, ecclesially, coaching, you name it, families and, and the abuse of power that we've seen there, or the abuse of authority, where people wrongly think that authority is about privilege. Hey, aren't I all that? Or they think that uh, authority is about being in charge. Mm-hmm. And I get, to, I get to lord it over people. I mean, we should immediately think of Jesus's words to Peter or to James and John Mark, and all yeah. the apostles, right? You know, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, they make their authority felt, but it, it can't not be, be like that you. with you. Yeah. It can't yeah, be yeah. like that with you, right? But unfortunately, all too often, uh, we, we see just that. Real authority is about taking care of those who are entrusted to your care. It's if about authority, leading, leading with love. Yeah, right? leading with love. And, and, and so I've always been struck by the fact that authority comes from the same root as augment, which means to give rise to or to cause growth. Okay. So in other words, people with authority should be helping those who are in their care to grow. That doesn't mean you let them do whatever you want because that wouldn't be real love. But um, people of authority, whether they're in the church or in politics or in any other field of authority, should be um, leading in such a way that those people who are entrusted to them are experiencing ever greater maturity, ever greater fulfillment, ever greater life. Mm, I love that. So leaders help those that are entrusted to their care to thrive, right? Bingo, as opposed to wait on me. And and to love is to want the wellness of another, to want the goodness of another, to to want what is best for them. Exactly. And, And as I'm thinking about, like practically speaking, how does this get lived out, well, all of us are subject to authority, mm. right? And so oftentimes, well, every Sunday at Mass, we pray for our leaders. We pray for the leaders in the church, leaders in our local government, and I, for one, uh, oftentimes complain about our leaders rather than pray for our leaders. And so just, just to be able to pray for them to lead with love, to wield that authority 
with the Father's heart. Yeah, that's right. right? He, back to that first reading. He shall be a father to the inhabitants yeah. of Jerusalem. That's yeah, yeah, part yeah. of the task. Be a father, right? Yeah. Genuinely care for them. And I, and I think this also informs too, Father John, the way that I think you alluded to it earlier, just how, how we even lead in our families as mothers and as and as, as fathers, and if, and if you're teaching in the classroom, which is a great place to, to, gosh, pour into our young brothers and sisters, you know, what kind of a teacher do you want to be? Yeah. Right? Or coach. Coach. You know? Or, or, or anyway, in all the ways that God's inviting you to serve and to exercise this weighty thing called authority. Yep. Some of us, quite candidly, right now, as we're listening to this, we need to be mm-hmm. rebuked by the Lord for how we have wielded mm-hmm. power, whether it's in our family or in a classroom, or on a football field, or in politics, or in the church, and ask the Lord, help us to understand uh, the, the awesome reality that, like Augustine said about himself, for you I'm a shepherd, but with you I'm a sheep. The latter one causes me great comfort. The first one terrifies me, because it means I'm going to have to answer for how I have exercised this authority. So, yeah, we need the Lord to yeah, yeah. to remind us what this is all about, huh? You know, Father you know, John, I love that. Go ahead, you were going to say something. I was just going to say, you know, like maybe maybe one last thought on my end, you know, maybe some of us are going, wow, that seems like a lot of work to do for a reading on Sunday. There's a, a statement I heard a long time ago. Uh, for someone who loves, you'll never learn enough. You can never know enough about something or someone you love. Like you want to know everything about you know, a topic that interests you or a, even more so a person that you love. And so we can, we can approach our ignorance of certain things, in this case of scripture, either out of a sense of frustration or we can approach it out of a, uh, out of a sense of excitement. Like, if we love God, then we should be constantly desirous to learn more and not frustrated by the fact that, well, I didn't know that. Wisdom means knowing you don't know anything. <laughs> like that, that's the truly wise person, whereas it's the fool who goes, no, I know everything. So we should never get frustrated over the fact that, well, I didn't know that. Well, you know, as I'm, as I'm listening to you talk, Father John, I'm thinking about those things that we carve out time for in our lives that matter to us the most. Mm. Uh, who, who, who do you want to spend time with and what gets you out of bed in the morning, what you want to read at night? And I'm just thinking about all the manner of books, you know, that, so many of us have what it means is you carve out time to do the work. And I think that's more the issue than anything else. I think a lot of our friends that uh, share in our conversations week after week have that hunger and desire. But what it means is we have to carve out the time in our day, somewhere in our week where we're going to spend extra time to do the work so that we go to mass on Sunday and hopefully um, when we go to Mass on this particular Sunday, we'll have an insight into not only how to pronounce these names, <laughs> but who they were What's up with and Shabna? what they did. And, and, and what does this mean for my life? I, I love this. This is so enlightening. I pray it's enlightening for all of you too. Yeah, and uh, last word, nothing and no one is more exciting than God. Amen to that. And so we should have this, we should pray for a craving and a longing to know more about him and not get frustrated over the fact that he wants to reveal something new to us. And because God is that exciting and that good and that loving and that kind and that powerful and that merciful, do not be afraid 
God is with you and you were born for this.